share the word this evening. Uh, we all know for a fact that Cindy loves the word of God. And I know without a doubt that she has prayed, that she has studied, she has prepared. So I ask you tonight that you give her your undivided attention. Can we welcome her as she comes tonight? I'm going to see it. here tonight uh, I was just reminded of those seasons in my life when I danced on dry ground you know I, I was still in the in the middle of the battle I was still in the in, in the pain and the suffering I was still dealing with the things with the kids dealing with the things with with life and, and not knowing how it was going to turn out exactly but but I had made a choice on those days that I was going to dance on dry ground if there was no rain around me, I was still going to dance because I knew the God who was going to be with me right in the middle of the, of the dark place. Uh, you know, it reminds me of that, that story, and it's not where we're going tonight, but uh, it reminds me of that, uh, that account in Scripture. I won't say a story, that account in Scripture uh, where the Hebrew boys were, were, were taken to the king, and, the, and they said, these men aren't bound down to the image you made. Uh, and you said anybody didn't get bound, go ahead and bow down when the music sounded to the, and worship this image, they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Uh, but those, uh, those uh, young men said, uh, we don't have to think about what we're going to say. I don't have to figure out a speech because there's only one answer I'm going to give you. My God can deliver me, but if he doesn't, I'm still not going to go, go bow down to something other than God. I'm going to make up my mind. God's true, and I'm going to believe him, even if it's dry ground I'm dancing on, even if I'm lifting my hands and praising, but my heart's still hurting, uh, my body's still sick, but I'm going to believe God, because no matter what, he is true, and I'm not going to give up on that, and, and you know, that, that moves the heart of God, uh, when we allow him to take hold of us like that, that moves his heart. Hallelujah. You know, I, I love our Wednesday nights. I love the teaching format as well. We have some very anointed teachers in our midst, and I love that. But there's something about coming together to worship. There's something about coming together, and, and we're coming intentionally with one purpose, that we're going to worship God. That's powerful. Uh, don't get me wrong, I love our Sunday mornings and the house is full, and the body's together, and there's a synergy. Uh, there's just all this energy in the house, and I love that. But sometimes Sunday morning can be my default. I've been in church on a Sunday morning for the last two decades of my life, at least, probably more than that. So on a Sunday morning, if I'm not in a house of a God, I feel like something's wrong in my life. So Sunday morning can be my default setting, but on Wednesday night, it's not. Wednesday night when I've worked and I'm tired. Wednesday night when my belly's growling because I didn't get to go home before I got here. And I've already set my heart. I'm going. That's an intentional choice that I'm making. You know, pastor says that uh, Sunday morning worship is a Saturday night choice. And that's true. But can I tell you, Wednesday night is a Wednesday morning choice. Thursday night prayer, just let me put it out there. Thursday night prayer is a Thursday morning choice. It's the choice, the intention of our heart that we're going to do this. 
You know, many years ago in my prayer closet, the Lord whispered, if you will be intentional with your time, I will be intentional with my presence. And when I come to the prayer closet and I have said I had dishes to do, but I'm closing that door, there's somebody trying to, to get a hold of me and they're sending me a text message and I'll answer it later because God's going to come to the room and I've got to be there. Uh, that is what kept, keeps me coming back to the place of prayer, back to the place of worship, back to the word over and over because if I will be intentional, he's promised to be intentional. To, that's what keeps me coming in here on a Thursday night. Now, I, it's not because pastor expects me to unlock that door. And, and I hope people come in and use it. A lot of people have used it over the, over the past several years. Uh, but, but if nobody shows up, God does. Even if it's just me and him, he shows up. And, and you know, to make a place in my life that I'm going to minister to God is powerful. Why wouldn't I show up if God's going to show up and walk in with fire and thunder and lightning of his presence? Why wouldn't I walk in if he wasn't going to be in the atmosphere hanging heavy and sweet while I prayed? Why else, why else would I come? What can keep me away? The, uh, the, in Psalm 73 and 28, it says, the psalmist said, it is good for me to draw near to God. If his nearness is my good, what is his nearness? What is it when he comes and walks with me? Isn't it the power of heaven? Isn't it heaven meeting earth? Jesus was uh, uh, talking, to, uh, talking to, I want to say Philip. I want to say it was Philip. And, and he, say, uh, he said, you're going to see the heavens open and the uh, angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Uh, Jesus is the place where heaven and earth meet. Jesus is ground zero for heaven's power to break out in my life. Why wouldn't I go where he is? God melts mountains with his feet and garnishes the heavens with his breath. He's going to come near me. Why wouldn't I come to this sanctuary? It's enough to keep me coming. So, so just let me throw that out there as an advertisement, I guess. <laughs> Thursday evening, the, the prayer room is open here. Five to seven. Lights are down, the music's up, and I promise you God will meet you here. You know, um, the intentional pursuit of God will take me deep, but I'll never get there an accident. I'm not going to ever accidentally have a deep relationship with God. I'm going to have to be intentional in my pursuit if I'm going to go deep with him. You, Jesus said, you seek, and then you find. Not, I, I fall into it. I seek, and then I find. Uh, I have to confess, sometimes uh, the choice to pray and seek and worship uh, means that I have to set my alarm a little earlier than I like. It, it may decide that, uh, it may make me decide that that recliner, boy, that looks good, but I'm going to stay away from that thing. I sat down that recliner. I don't know if you've got one of those in your home. When I sat down in it and I turn on the TV or I, I even get my Bible and I sit in that recliner and, and a few minutes later, Braden will say, Mommy, you've been snoring, get up. <laughs> I have to stay away from that thing. Uh, tonight, uh, we are in the book of Numbers chapter 15. And if you want to follow along, um, that's, that's wonderful. I want to be real with you tonight. I have read this account many times in Scripture, and every time I've read it, I have tripped over these verses. 
every single time. You, you see, my Bible reading plan, and I followed this for years, and I wouldn't tell you to follow mine because mine works for me. But every day I try to read a little bit in the law, and then I try to read a little bit in the histories, and then I read a little in Psalms, and I'll go find me some prophets, then I'll go over to those red words over there, and, and then finally I'll, I'll get a little bit of Paul in the end. And, and, and I have found that if I keep at that thing, if I just keep at it, in about two years I can go through the Bible three times. And I like that. Uh, and there have been times in my life, and I'm ashamed to tell you, but I was plowing ink. I'd be reading, begat, 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 town, town, number of people, number of people, plowing the ink because I knew Psalms was waiting on me and Psalms was going to be good. <laughs> so I could plow through numbers to get to Psalms. So I've read this many times, but I was plowing ink at times. Now sometimes in that plowing, God shows up and just shows me something amazing and wonderful. So I would tell you, even if you're plowing ink, plow it. Go after the word. But when I was reading in, in, in Numbers 15, I've tripped over this over and over. And, and we're going to start reading in verse 32. Um, the first 30, 31 verses of this chapter, God is saying to the people, now let me, let me tell you what's happening in Numbers 14 first. Numbers 14, they get to the edge of the promised land and they won't go in. And, and they're turned back into the wilderness for 40 years of wandering. So Numbers 15, God starts talking in, in verse 1 and he starts saying, Moses, when the people come into the land I've promised to give them, this is the way you're going to worship. This is the way you're going to treat each other when you're in the land that I'm promised to give them. So God's talking like the promise is still out there even though they're wandering in the wilderness. And there, after God tells them about what they're going to do in the promised land, and right before he tells them to put blue cords on the tassels of their, of their garments to remind them of his law, right between, sandwiched in in this chapter, is this account. Starting in verse 32. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, they found a man who was gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering the sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation, and they put him in custody because it wasn't certain or clear what should be done to him. Now, I read that, and I think, it's a stick. It seems clear to me that this is not a problem, that, that this is just a stick. It's not going to hurt anybody. Why is this a big deal? Just picking up sticks. But in verse 35, And the Lord said to Moses, The man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp, and they stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. I told this story to a little resident where I work today, and she said, My God wouldn't do that. And I said, Oh, but he did. He did. He did. Folks, this man died over a stick. This man died over nothing more than a stick. And I questioned God about that. Are you offended by sticks? Is there something about the stick? Is it that big a deal? Did the man wake up and look out of his tent and say, boy, that's a good-looking stick out there. 
Boy, if I had that stick in my position, I could do something. I could make a bow and arrow out of it. I've got the arrow here, the bow. I did that when I was a little girl. I could dig in the ground with it. I could do all kinds of, boy, I could, if I had that stick, that stick is worth more than anything to me. I've got to have the stick. He didn't do that. That man did not do that. It didn't make any sense to me until I tuck it into my prayer closet this past week. And if you walked by me and you heard me singing, Lord, don't let me pick up sticks while you're burning on a mountain, then you know what I'm talking going here. This man died over a stick. And, and to understand this, we've got to think about who this man is and what this man has seen in his journey. This man is no stranger to the presence of God. This man was one of the slaves in Egypt. And this man watched God break Egypt's back. He watched God rain fire from heaven, turn water to blood, put darkness so deep that they couldn't see their hand in front of their face. And finally, this man had painted his doorpost with the blood of a lamb so that the death angel would pass over. He saw God at work. And, and then this man went on out to the Red Sea with Moses and the rest of the Israelites. And he watched as Moses stretched out his rod and God sent an east wind and the Red Sea stood up like frozen walls of water so he could walk through and not get his sandals dirty. And he walked through that water. He'd known God's power. He watched as it fell on top of Pharaoh's army and drowned the enemy that they could never take him back into, uh, into bondage. That man knew something about God. He ate manna in the, desert, in the wilderness. He ate manna. He, he got hand-fed miracle day after day after day. This man watched Moses strike a rock. And enough water came out of a rock in a desert to, to, to give water for a million people and their animals. That wasn't a, a trickle. That wasn't the water fountain. He hit a river. He hit the river of God. And, and, and that man had watched it happen. That man had been at Sinai while Moses was on top. And God come and he, he was like a burning furnace on top of the mountain. And the mountain shook and trembled under the power of God. And there was a sound of trumpets while God was on top of it. And there was thunder and lightning. And he, the people were standing amazed. That man had stood under the shadow of Sinai. And then in the camp, when the Israelites got to the edge of the promised land, he listened while the ten spies gave their evil report. Ah, uh, those giants are awful big. I don't think we can do this. And here's Joshua and Caleb. We can do it. God's going to do it. God can do it. And they turned back into the wilderness. Missed their chance. And he had been forgiven. As Moses prayed over and over, don't kill him, God, don't kill him, God. You know, I know you want to kill him, God, but don't kill him. Over and over, Moses prays, don't kill him, God. And we get to Numbers 15. 
and 31 verses worth of God saying, when you get into that land, I'm still giving you the promise. Yeah, I know, but your kids are going to get it, and it's going to be good. God still got the promise on the horizon, and the man has been listening to the sound of the words of God coming from Moses. And what does he do that Sabbath morning, and the sun's coming out over the Israelite camp, and he walks out of his camp, and he looks at the tabernacle and the glory hanging there, and he says, this stick looks better to me. I think I need a stick. God, I've got him all the time. That's just God. I need that stick. And that stick, that distraction, that thing that caught his attention cost him his life. That man got up and he, he, he knew the invitation to, of God was to reconnect his heart to his holy heart. It was the invitation to rest and reset and let priority come back into, into place. But he said, nope, I think I need to stick more. This Sabbath, he decided that God was not worth his effort. And the relationship with God took a backseat to what he wanted. You see, God made everything on the planet in six days. And on the Sabbath day, the seventh day, he rested and God was not tired. God never gets tired. God got done. Everything that was needed for this planet to keep on running for thousands and thousands of years was already in place by the end of day six. And God said, day seven, oh, I think I'm going to rest. I think I'm going to walk in the garden with the man I made and let him connect his heart to mine. I think I'm going to walk with Adam and let him... Uh, lean into me and love on me a little bit. The Sabbath day was made for man to reconnect to God. It was important to the heart of God. But that man, that man had more important things to do than reconnect his heart to God. This man said, no thank you God, I'm too busy to spend my time with you. These sticks have my attention. The ball game's going to be on. I've got a dinner to go to. I have something planned. I've got something else to do. I've got something else I need to do. And, and you know, I thought about that. Maybe it was even worse than that. He just stopped looking at the tabernacle at all. He stopped looking at the glory hanging over there. And he started looking low. He was in the dirt and he's looking at the dirt. And what do you see when you look in the dirt? Sticks. Sticks. And the dirt became so, so important. Do you know that all of heaven is focused on one thing? The throne of the living God. That day and night there's a song on repeat. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's the sound of heaven. All of heaven hangs on him. All of heaven hangs on the presence of God. But this man's eyes were in the dirt. And what did he see but sticks? He had better things to do than sing about God's holiness. To join angel choirs. He had too much to do to rest and gaze at the Shekinah glory covering that tabernacle. He didn't have time to pray and reset his heart and reset his priorities in life. He had sticks to pick up. That was his offense, distraction. 
My distraction is my destruction. Giving the attention and the affection that belongs to God to the lesser things in life, to sticks. He lost his focus. He lost his life. And and I want to be transparent with you tonight. I've walked around for that week telling God I was sorry. I'm sorry I've been picking up sticks when you're fire on a mountain. I'm sorry I've been picking up sticks and the things in, the, in, in my life and the busyness of work and the busyness of, uh, of my kids and the busyness of life has been so important that I didn't have time to look up. I'm sorry, Lord, for, for gathering sticks on you. Sometimes my stick doesn't look like that guy's, though. It does tonight. <laughs> I was thinking about that. I was out there gathering sticks in my yard thinking, okay, Jesus, let's go out this. <laughs> You know, um, my sticks don't look like these tree branches. My sticks, my sticks may look like comfort. It may look like convenience. It might look like that wonderful recliner. Whatever pleases my flesh and takes my eyes off of God and makes my life easy but keeps him away, that's the stick in my life. On a, in a world that has been on pleasure and calls self-care a thing. And what they really mean is self-worship in disguise. Sometimes the most important thing in my life is not me and pampering me. Sometimes it's looking at God. Sometimes the sticks in my life looks like the American dream. Bigger house, bigger car, nicer car, uh, knew this, knew that. Safety net of security uh, in, a, in a nest egg somewhere. They're sticks, and they're deadly. Uh, just, just the things that put, pull my attention away from the consuming fire of God that distract me from his glory and what he's called me to do and what he asked me to do. Do you know you don't have to have a calling as an intercessor to go pray? You don't have to. Uh, you, you know what? Everybody is called to the ministry of intercession. Everybody is called to spend time worshiping God. Noah was hitting it over here the last couple of times I've heard him say it even. Uh, He's hitting it. You go to God, and you just start telling God how good he is. You start telling him how wonderful he is. You start at the top of the mountain. Don't start at the bottom and push things up. Start at the top. Put your heart on God. Let him meet you there. Jesus said in John 17 when he was praying, to know you, O God, is eternal life. But to be cut off from knowing God, to stop pursuing and not to to pursue him in prayer closet and in the word and in church attendance and and going hard after God, that's death. If you cut off the life, all you've got left is the death. All you've got left is your sticks. Whatever keeps me from pursuing God is deadly to my spiritual life. And you know what? I picked up sticks in my yard, and I, I took it inside and washed it because it was a little muddy if it had been raining. Put it down and dried it, and my kids were like, Mom, are you crazy? That's a stick. Why are you t- you're washing the stick? But you know what? Those sticks in my life keep me from God, keeps me from looking, keeps me from gazing, my job, my... My busyness, my distraction, that's deadly. I'm going to die if I keep uh, holding on to those things. And I don't know about you folks, 
But I'm not a stranger to the presence of God. I'm a Pentecostal mama. I love it. <laughs> the, the fire can't get hot enough. The worship can't go long enough. Uh, you know, we can run the, run the pews and, uh, and jump a few, and I'd be okay with that. I'm the Pentecostal mom. I like that stuff because I've tasted God's goodness. I've tasted his mercy. I'm the person set free from bondage, from the bondage of my sin and the bondage of depression in my life. I've seen God do wonders in my life. He's healed me. He's protected me. He's provided for me. When I should have perished, I didn't. When I should have went under, I went over. And you know why? One reason, Jesus. It was just Jesus. It had nothing to do with me or the strength of my devotion. It was just the presence of the Lord. And I don't want to spend my time picking up the sticks while God is beckoning me to his mountain. The thing is that the more I look at him, the more I lavish my love and worship on him, the more I care about what he cares about. It was in, actually in this room, praying over this church, that the Lord started writing his love for the church in my heart. The more I prayed and sought him, the more I loved what he loved. And I do love the church. I do love the body of Christ. But I love it because he loves it. The more I spend time loving on the Lord, the more I want to go find those little homeless people and tell them that God loves them. The, the more I want to go and uh, go to the inmates and tell them, hey, there's a different life, there's another way. The more I seek him, the more I seek what his heart is seeking. The more I love what he loves, the more I gaze on Jesus, the more attention I give to God and to his word, the more I am transformed. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 says, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We are transformed in our gazing. We give him our attention. We are changed. Uh, Romans 12 and 1, he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and perfect and ex acceptable will of God. And, and can I bring that back around to Numbers 15 real quick? Turn yourself away from the sticks and gaze on God. Give God your attention, and he is going to change your life. The old churches used to sing a choir, a chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And look at Jesus, and the sticks turn back into sticks. They're just sticks once you look at him for a little while. If he has your gaze, if he has your affections, if he has your attentions, the sticks cannot kill you. Church, we've come through the fire and the flood this last year. There have been plenty of sticks that would lock our attention. But I feel like the Lord has been gracious to us. And he's allowed our sticks to turn back into sticks. Some of the things that kept us distracted and living on the surface of our relationship with God as a church and as a people, 
over the past uh, decade or so we, we were affected in those ways, it just became apparent to us that it didn't matter. Yeah. It wasn't that important. Hollywood's finest and brightest didn't have what we needed. Uh, we couldn't run from place to place keeping ourselves distracted and busy. We even figured out it wasn't a big conference with a rock star worship leader that was going to bring the glory. It was only God. Only God has glory. Only he can bring it. Somebody else can put a light on a stage and make an atmosphere, but they can't bring the glory. Amen. We didn't need to hear the latest new thing or have our ears tickled by a Facebook prophet. Nope. We just needed to look around us at the world and see it as a burning bush revealing the glory of God as we sought his face out. God wants to reveal himself to his people, but he's not going to do it while we're holding on to our sticks. We just needed to open our ears and hear the sound of our beloved shepherd saying, Arise, come away, my fair one, my love. Come away to your prayer closet. Come away to my presence. Church, we got to put away our sticks. we got to focus on what matters to the Lord. Amen. I'm going to share with you the word the Lord gave me as I was praying. Do not lose focus in this hour. The time is late and the hour is urgent. The fields are white. Indeed, white to harvest, yet in many places my church, my laborers in the harvest, are resting in easy places. There's been a change in times, and as my return grows closer, and as the end of the age comes near, things will change much quicker now. There has been a spirit of sleepiness, a lullaby in the body. A sleeping church must awaken, shake itself, and purposely bend itself to my work in the earth. Many shall say, Lord, Lord, have we not on that day? And I will say, I do not know you. You followed programs and agendas, but you did not follow my footsteps. My footsteps will always lead you away from the mirror of self-concern or the buffet table of worldly pursuits and appetites. For a short season, my body in this nation was wakened and asking, Lord, what shall we do now? Our plans and purposes have fallen down. When shall we get back to business as usual? I say unto you, stay awake. Refuse to settle back down while the fields are ripe and the fruit is perishing and the vines rise up to harvest. Do not allow yourselves to settle into comfortable routines and what the world will call reasonable concerns. Let the dead bury their dead. Let the news media decry the decay of the hour. Let my people, though, let them be shining, burning lamps, undistracted from my presence or my purposes. Rise to the harvest. Wake into my glory. Refuse to sleep. As you pursue me, as you fellowship with me and sit with me, you will be refreshed, restored, and renewed, and your eyes will be washed to see as I see, and your voice will speak loud the wondrous love of God. Elohim, Yama Korea Satay Elohim, 
Church, I know our musician, uh, our uh, worship leader left the room. I know he did. <laughs> but the, the one we worship did not. I feel him like that. Mm -mm. I, I, I feel that we need to respond. We need to respond to that. We need to respond to his beckoning right now. I don't know if you feel that, but I feel that. We need to respond to the Lord. Hallelujah. What a powerful word. What an anointed word. Praise God. You know, this, uh, these words of this song, I... Um, I was thinking about diving in on Sunday morning, last Sunday, and sing it. Well, just go and sing that a little bit. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Oh, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look for in his wonderful face and the things of her will grow strangely in the light of his glory. Now sing it to yourself. Let's sing it out loud. Sing it to the Lord. Oh, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look for in his wonderful face. And the themes of In the light of his glory and praise, I'd rather 